0: Chapter Sixty Six of No Quarter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Reese, Cordova, Illinois. No Quarter by Thomas Main Reed. Chapter Sixty Six On the Trail. Words cannot depict the feelings of Sir Richard Walwyn and Eustace Trevor as they reined up by the burning house. With both it was anguish of the keenest, for they knew who were the incendiaries, and that incendiarism was not the worst of it. Those who ruthlessly kindled the flames had, with like ruth, carried off their betrothed ones. And for what purpose? A question neither colonel nor captain could help asking himself, though its conjectural answer was agony. For now more vividly than ever did Sir Richard recall what had been told him of Lunsford's designs upon Sabrina, while Trevor had also heard of Prince Rupert's partiality for Vaga. As they sate in their saddles, contemplating the ruin, they felt as might an American frontiersman returned home to find his cabin ablaze, fired by Indian torch, his wife or daughters borne off in the brutal embrace of the savage. No better fate seemed to have befallen the daughters of Ambrose Powell. White savages, very tigers, had seized upon and dragged them to their lair. It were no worse if red ones had been the captors. Rather would the bereaved lovers have had it so. Sooner known their sweethearts buried under that blazing pile than in the arms of the profligate Rupert and Lunsford the Bloody. Only for an instant did they give way to their anguish, or the anger which accompanied it, rage almost to madness. Both were controlled by the necessity of action, and the first wild burst over action was taken, pursuit of the ravishers. Some time, however, before it could be fairly entered upon, inquiry made as to the direction in which they had gone. There were hundreds on the ground who could be interrogated. Half the people of Rardine were there. Roused from their beds by the cry, Fire, they had rushed out, and on to the scene of conflagration but arrived too late to witness the departure of those who had set the torch, and could not tell which way they had gone. Neither could the house servants now released from their lock-up, for to hinder them doing so was the chief reason for their having been confined. As it was known to all that the royalists had come up from Monmouth, conjecture pointed to their having returned thither. But conjecture was not enough to initiate a pursuit, and Colonel Walwyn was too practiced a campaigner to rely upon it. Certainty of the route taken by the enemy was essential, else he might go on a wild-goose chase. As that could not be obtained at the burning house, not a moment longer stayed he by it, scarce ten minutes in all from the time of their arrival, till he gave the command, About! And about they went, back down the long avenue and through the park gate. Soon as outside he shouted, HALT! bringing all again to a stand. He himself, however, with Captain Trevor and Sergeant Wild advancing along the road in the direction of Cat's Hill. Only a hundred yards or so when they reined up. Then, by command, the big sergeant threw himself out of his saddle, and, bending down, commenced examination of the ground. Had Wild been born in the American backwoods he would have been a noted hunter and tracker of the leather-stocking type. As it was, his experience as a deer-stealer in the forest of Dean had been sufficient to make the taking up a horse's trail an easy matter, and easier that of a whole troop. He could do it even in darkness. For it was dark, then, the moon under a cloud. And he did it, in an instant, scarce was he a stoop, ere rising erect again, and turning face to Sir Richard, as if all had been ascertained. "'Well, Rob," interrogated the latter, rather surprised at such quick work you see their tracks i do colonel going catshill way no colonel the contrary coming from none of em fresh neither must have been made some time in the afternoon have you assured yourself of that i have but i'll guy him another look if you wish it colonel do the colossus again bent down and repeated his examination of the tracks this time making a traverse or two, and going farther along the road, in a few seconds to return with a confirmation of his former report. A troop of cavalry had passed over it, but only in one direction, upward, and some hours before sunset. "'Sure I am o' that, as if I'd been here at Seedum,' was the tracker's concluding words. "'Enough,' said Sir Richard. "'Into your saddle, and follow me.' at which he gave his horse the spur and trotted back towards the park gate, not to rejoin his men, still at halt, however. Instead he continued on along the road for Drybrook, the other two keeping with him. At a like distance from the halted line he, again, drew up, and directed the sergeant to make a similar reconnaissance. Here the reading of the sign occupied the tracker some little longer time, as there was a confusion of hoof-marks. Some turned one way, some the other. Those that had the toe towards Hollymead Gate he knew to have been made by their own horses, but underneath, and nearly obliterated, were hundreds of others almost as fresh. "'That's the trail of the scoundrels,' said Sir Richard, soon as the sergeant reported the result of his investigation. "'They've gone over to the Gloucester side, by Drybrook and Mitcheldean. How strange are not meeting them!' "'It is very strange,' rejoined Trevor. "'But could they have passed through Mitcheldean without our meeting them?' oh yes they could captain put in wild once more mounted there be several by-ways through the forest as leads there without touchin a dry brook and i think i know the one them have took when's us get to where it branch off their tracks'll tell right they will said sir richard laying aside conjecture and calling to the officer in charge of the men to bring them on at quick pace at quick pace they came the colonel captain trevor And the big sergeant starting off before they were up, and keeping several horse lengths ahead. The route they were taking was the same they had come by, back for Drybrook, but coming and going their attitude was different. Then erect, with eyes turned upward regarding the glare over Hollymead, now bent down, cheeks to the saddle-bow, and glances all given to the ground. For, as Wilde had said, there were several byways, any one of which the pursued party might have taken and to go astray on the pursuit, even to the loss of ten minutes' time, might be fatal to their purpose, the feathers' weight turning the scale. But no danger now, the moon was giving a good light, and the road for long stretches was open, the trees on each side wide apart. So they had no difficulty in seeing what before they had not thought of looking for, the hoof-marks of many horses that had gone towards Drybrook. The tracks of their own going the other way had almost obliterated them, Still enough of the under-ones were visible to show that two bodies of horse had passed in opposite directions, with but a short interval of time between. As this could be noted without the necessity of stopping or slowing pace, Colonel Walwyn carried his men on in a brisk canter, designing halt only at the branch road of which the sergeant had spoken. But, long before reaching it, they got information which made stoppage there unnecessary, as also further call on the ex-deer-stealer's skill as a tracker for the time, given by a man mounted on a hotel hack, who, coming on at a clattering gallop, met them in the teeth. His cry, for the Parliament, without being challenged, proclaimed him a friend. And he was the innkeeper of Mitcheldean, recognized on the instant by Sir Richard and Rob Wilde. His coming up caused a halt, for his business was with Colonel Walwyn, an errand quickly told. Prince Rupert and two hundred horse, with prisoners, have passed through Mitcheldean, Half a dozen questions, rapidly put and promptly answered, elicited all the circumstances, the time, the direction taken, everything the patriotic Boniface could tell. They had come down the plump hill, and gone off by Hall, for Newham or Westbury, or they might be making for Lydney. Down the plump hill, that accounted for their not being met, and the time, so near meeting yet missing them, all the way to Hollymead and back for nothing. But lamenting the lost hours would not recover them. They must be made good by greater speed. And, without wasting another word, the spur was buried deeper, and faster rode the foresters, rode with a will, few of them whose heart was not in the pursuit. They were on the slot of a hated foe, against whom many had private cause of quarrel and vengeance. Prince Rupert, for the past twelve months, had been harrying the forest district, making their homes desolate, his licentious soldiers abusing their wives, sisters, and daughters, no wonder they wanted to come up with him. At mad speed they went dashing around Rardine Hill, down into the Vale of Drybrook, then up by the wilderness, and down again to Mitchelldean, once more startling the townspeople from their slumbers, and filling them with fresh alarm, soon over on seeing it was the greencoats. Only a glimpse of them was got as they galloped on through, staying not a moment, never drawing bridle till they came to the forking of the roads by Abenhall, The right for Little Dean, Newham, and Lydney the left to Westbury. Then only for an instant while Rob Wilde swung his stalwart form out of the saddle, and made inspection of the tracks, for the moon was once more clouded, and he could not make them out without dismounting. As before, brief time it took him, but a few seconds till he was back on his horse, saying, as he slung himself up, They're gone Westbury ways, Colonel. And Westbury ways went the pursuers, reins loose and spurs plied afresh, with no thought of halting again but a hope there would be no need for it, till at arm's length with the detested enemy. Even when the turn in Flaxley Valley brought the Severn in sight, with its wide sheet of flood-water, they stayed not to talk of it. To them it was no surprise, but a few hours before they had waited it farther up. No more was it matter of apprehension, as it had been to the party pursued. Instead, something to gratify and cheer them on, For extending right and left far as the eye could reach, it seemed a very net set by God's own hand to catch the criminals they were in chase of. End of Chapter Sixty Six, Recording by Matthew Reese, Cordova, Illinois.